0: You all can have a seat. I haven't been able to say that in a long time and it feels really good to say. So thank you guys for standing so that I could say that. Um, So in January or February of this year, I posted onto Denver Seminary's job board, an internship to teach here at TNL, to learn how to teach, to get some experience teaching. And um, (laughs) I was just hoping that someone would apply. And like two or 3 a.m. the day after it posted, I got an email in my inbox from Shayna. and, um, thank God is what I thought immediately. Like, Oh, good. We don't sound nearly as lame as I thought maybe we did in this job posting. Um, and every, every single interaction I've had with Shayna since, since she first emailed has just reinforced to me that, um, that she is, <laughs> she's our kind of people. And I think you're gonna, you're going to see what I mean by that. Um, and she is clearly following what God is doing because there's, uh, there's very little reason why our paths should have crossed. And I'm so thankful that they did. And uh, I'm just really excited for us to all get to hear from Shannon tonight. So would you please give her a very, very warm welcome, Shana Olina.
1: Hello, everybody. I know that we just prayed maybe like a minute ago, but if you don't mind... I need a little bit of prayer. So we're gonna pray again. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for everybody who's here in this room, online, who will watch this recording later. Please just help whatever words come out of my mouth become the words that you wanna share and help us all feel your love and your presence in this room tonight, amen. Well, I am incredibly excited I'm glad to be here with you all tonight, but I am also extremely nervous. And as I was sitting in my nerves last week, kind of freaking out, I realized that being nervous is a huge part of my Christian journey. I converted to Christianity from atheism when I was 18 and joined my first Bible study. And it was the most nerve wracking, social anxiety inducing thing that I have ever done. I didn't even really know how to read a Bible or what it meant that there were different books in the Bible or what all the numbers were. And then everybody's looking at me and they're asking me questions about sanctification and God's righteousness and justification, words that I had never even heard of. And then they asked me to pray. And I didn't know prayer etiquette. Is it high God, hey God, dear God, heavenly father, "O Lord above? Couldn't tell you. Please, thank you, maybe. I hated it, loathed it. And you would think that years later, now that I've been in ministry for a while, now that I'm over partway through my seminary track, that things would be different, that I would feel confident, that I would have no reason whatsoever to be nervous. But what I've learned since starting seminary is that when we're looking at the creator of the universe and this book that's supposed to tell us about him, that was written in different languages, that has been passed down over the centuries through multiple cultures. There's no clear finish line. What could it possibly be to know enough? If the starting point is me at 18 years old with like no idea why they even call it the Holy Bible. And then the ending point is that you can sit down and have a conversation with God and learn nothing new. Where do we know that we've hit the line? In my seminary classes, There are words that are not even in the dictionary. And if Merriam-Webster does not know it, I probably never will. And so what we're going to look at tonight is when God talks to us, where does he say that line is? Right now we're in a series that Phil started for us last week, where we're looking at Jesus's interactions with his disciples after the resurrection. And last week we got to go on the road to Emmaus and see the disappointment, the hopelessness, the what's nextness, for lack of a better word, that some of the disciples were experiencing. And this week, we're just going to step back slightly in time to what happened after Jesus died, but before he showed up on the road to Emmaus. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, you can go ahead and open with me to John 20. We're going to be starting in verse 1. And we're gonna be walking all the way through verse 18, but we're taking it chunks at a time. So if you don't have your Bible or you don't have your phone, I think you'll still be able to follow us. Now, where we are when this story starts is three days after Jesus died. So if this were like a TV show, right? The last season, last episode was the end of the season. Jesus dies, his body gets carried away, put in the tomb, the screen goes dark. And then the new season starts three days later and Mary is walking to the tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So if we remember some of what Phil said last week, when Jesus died, it was traumatic for the disciples. They had this view of who Jesus was gonna be and that he was gonna fix their lives and they were gonna be super popular and he was gonna be the king and it was gonna be great. So when he got murdered, number one, they were experiencing a deep sense of grief because someone they loved deeply had been killed. Number two, they were experiencing abandonment. They had seen Jesus perform miracles all over the cities. They knew that he could do anything. They knew that he didn't have to die, but he chose to. And so in one moment, all of their dreams got shattered and they were left in grief. And as we talked about last week, Some of them were kind of freaking out, which is perfectly understandable. Yet Mary, in the midst of all that pain and all that grief, came to the tomb to grieve her friend. And when she gets there, she sees that the tomb is open and she automatically assumes grave robbers, which actually grave robbers were sadly really common back in that time. So it wasn't a weird assumption at all. So she calls her friends. They come in. They're like, oh yeah, the body's not there and leave. And these guys have their own cool story and something that we can learn from them in this scene, but we're gonna save that for another day and we're just gonna look at Mary. And it also mentions these cloths. All we need to know about those cloths is that they were really expensive fabrics doused in really expensive oils. And so to us, they're a little suspenseful hint from the author that this wasn't a grave robbery. Because if it was, any robber absolutely would have taken those cloths. So all we need to know here is that it is confirmed that the tomb is empty and it is probably not a grave robbery. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Now, weirdly enough, nobody seems to say anything about the fact that there are randomly two angels in this tomb. Does Mary know that they're angels? Does that hint to her that something cool is happening? Does she not know they're angels and she just chooses not to react to the fact that there are suddenly two strange men where Jesus's body should be? We don't know. We aren't given much there. But what we are told is that they ask her a question. They ask her why she's so upset. And Mary says that she is looking for her Lord, even though Jesus is dead, even though he hasn't done any of the things that she expected. She still calls him her Lord. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Mary has been praying and looking for the corpse of her friend, of her Lord. And instead she turns around and is face to face with the risen Jesus who nobody has seen before. I mean, if you imagine like a kid, who just really wants a unicorn for Christmas, just a little unicorn toy. And they come out Christmas morning and there is a real life magical unicorn waiting for them in their living room. This is better than that. And so what does Mary do? She calls Jesus a thief. She thinks he's the gardener and she's like, oh, this must be the person who took away my friend's body. It can't possibly have been the two random men who were literally in his tomb. It's gotta be this guy. Oops, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabani, which means teacher. Now, if this were a show, this would be the perfect end of the episode right here. Mary thinks that Jesus is a thief. And he's like, Mary, it's me. And she's like, oh my gosh, Jesus is alive. Close curtain, end of scene. But luckily for us, we're not really going to have any suspense because the story keeps going. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So we don't know exactly what Mary does, but based on Jesus's response, she must have run towards him and grabbed him. Which if you think somebody is dead and then all of a sudden they're standing alive in front of you, that to me feels like a pretty valid reaction. But Jesus corrects her right away. He says, let go of me. And what I think Jesus is telling us in that moment is that Mary didn't get it. In Mary's mind, Jesus is back. The dream can continue. Nothing has to change. Three-day hiccup, kind of scary, pretty sad. Don't worry. But what Jesus wants Mary to know is that nothing is ever going to be the same. The resurrection is not the end of the plan. So he tells her to go off. He gives her one sentence of the full story, which can't possibly have made sense to her because They didn't even know about the resurrection. They certainly didn't understand the ascension. And Mary just does it. She goes. And now, if we remember, this is the very first time that somebody has seen Jesus since he came back from the dead. Mary is the first person in the world to know about the greatest event in history and to hear the full story. But... Honestly, not to criticize Jesus. Mary makes the least amount of sense for a lot of reasons, but tonight we're just going to talk about three really quick. So reason number one that Mary makes absolutely no sense is she was a follower of Jesus and she was alone. So if she goes and tells anybody, don't worry, Christians aren't crazy. I saw Jesus, he's alive. No, nobody else saw him. It was just me, but I promise it's true. Nobody is going to believe her. And then number 2 is if that wasn't enough, back in those days, a woman's testimony held no legal value. Because of a woman's gender, not a single thing that they said, even if it was backed up by a man, could be counted as fact. So already, Mary is alone. She has no one to confirm her story because of her gender. Her words mean nothing to anybody. And then on top of that, when we look at the story we just read, Mary kind of didn't have it figured out. First, she doesn't go in the tomb and check out things herself, which I mean, I kind of get it. I would be scared to go in a tomb by myself too. And then these angels show up. She doesn't make anything of that. But then Jesus comes and she accuses him of being a thief. And then Jesus tells her that it's him. And she still doesn't understand the point. And so when we look at those three reasons, honestly, I'm sure that Jesus could have picked somebody that would have made a lot more sense, that would have more quickly spread the word of the resurrection, that more people would have trusted immediately. But he picked Mary. And why did he do that? When we look at this story from an intention perspective, rather than an action perspective. I think what we see is that every single thing Mary does is to get closer to Jesus. Jesus had left, Jesus had died, but she still goes to the tomb because she wants to visit him. When Jesus's body is no longer there, she is so distraught and overcome with trying to find his body that she can't seem to figure out what's going on. When Jesus comes back, she's so excited that, the whole future plan doesn't even occur to her. And I think that this right here, the fact that Jesus chose Mary because of her intentions and not because of her actions is a message that God wants us to hear today. That no matter what we know or what we don't know or what we get or what we don't get or what mistakes we make or what we do right, if we are searching for God, if God is what we are looking for, He is going to show up for us and through us in really cool ways. Mary got to be the first person to see him and the first person to share his story. Imagine how much more he can do in our lives. And I know that like our lives can feel really stressful and hard sometimes. And when we look at the world today, there is pain, there is sickness, there is injustice, there is violence everywhere. And for me, sometimes even, I look at what's going on. I wake up in the morning and I read the news and it is hard for me to see where God is and what God is up to. And when I look at those situations and I wanna do something and I wanna help, I don't always know what's the perfect thing. So I try something and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. I can't get it perfect. And I would wonder if any of you get it perfect every time either but I think that what God is saying here is that it's not about getting it perfect, that we don't have to carry the weight of trying to be perfect people. All we have to do is try. When I first became a Christian, I got put in charge of tabling. I don't know if any of you know what tabling is, but if you've ever been on an undergrad campus, it's these people with these cute little tables and signs and matching t-shirts, and they stand there and they like talk about Jesus or their group and try to get you to come attend some event. So I got put in charge of that. All by myself, approximately one month after I became a Christian, when I was still very much in the not knowing phase, and I am embarrassed and ashamed to say that the things I told people were unbelievable. (laughs) They would come up to me and be like, who's Jesus? And I was like, he's this dude who like used to exist and he's like, probably a big deal, but there's pizza. So that's like kind of the focus. And they'd be like, okay, so um, can you tell me what you think about the Bible? And I was like, I don't, I don't read it. I don't even know if that's going to come up. Because to me, that just wasn't where I at, was at, you know? I hadn't followed Jesus out of a logical decision. I didn't know the things. I did not do a good job. If I could do that over again, there is not a single thing that I would do the same way. But weirdly enough, a lot of people came And they became my friends. And I got to have cool conversations with them. And we got to learn things together. There was a talk on Jesus that night. And they were like, did you know this? And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) Isn't it fascinating? And also now, right, I work in ministry. I'm becoming a pastor. And that position was the very first resume item that helped me get my very first job at a church. I did a terrible job. I was the least qualified person they possibly could have picked, but I wanted to be good. I wanted to do the right thing. And so God used me anyway. And I know that none of you are going to go tabling, hopefully. If anybody asks you to go tabling, just say no. But you all have things that you are going to do, right? You have places in your life that are hard for you, where you're looking for God and trying to find him, or where you keep making mistakes. Maybe you want to be a really, really good friend, Maybe you wanna be a really good parent. Maybe you wanna be a really great significant other or a really great roommate, and you just keep not doing the right thing. Or maybe you're in circles where being a Christian is not the most popular thing. Work, family, friendship, school. And you're not sure what it looks like to talk about Jesus well, to be respectful, to say the right things. And so you end up kind of wondering, how do you get better? What do you do? Maybe you're going to do what I used to do and just kind of sideline yourself and let other people do it. Oh, that person seems to want to know about Jesus. They should probably talk to a pastor. But what I'm telling you tonight is that if you are a Christian, if you are trying to find God, if you are looking for him, seeking him, growing in knowledge of him, that is enough. You are qualified. You could get up here and you could do this. You have every right. You can lead a Bible study. You can pray for people. You can speak words of truth over people. And if you mess up, that's okay. Cause so did Mary and things turned out pretty well for her. And if you are someone listening who is not a Christian, like Phil said, this is a safe place for you, which is one of the reasons I chose to work here because I truly believe that that is true. And so if that is you, and you are not really looking for God yet, because there is something about this Jesus thing that just isn't quite sitting right with you yet. I would encourage you to ask somebody a question. If you know somebody who is following Jesus, whose life is constantly pointing back to God, whether or not you agree with it, that is somebody who can answer one of your questions. Talk to them about one of the things that is drawing you to Jesus or ask them a question about something that is holding you back. If you don't know somebody like that, come talk to me, come talk to Phil, talk to anybody else on leadership here. If you are looking for God, no matter what you know or don't know, or what mistakes you don't make or do make, God is gonna show up for you and through you in really cool ways. And whether that is a journey that you are already way down the road and have seen the coolest things from God ever, we would love to hear about this. If you are way back here where I was about 18 years old and you just don't even know if God is real or what that looks like or who Jesus is or if you ever wanna read the Bible, we would love to be with you in that too. So if you don't mind, we are gonna pray and then I believe Phil is gonna come back up here. Dear God, thank you again so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the room that you give us to grow and the lack of pressure you put on us to be perfect. Thank you for Mary and for her story that encourages us. In Jesus' name, amen.